0: Matthew chapter 5, we're starting at verse 3, and we're going to verse 12. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Hear the word of the Lord. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We're now going to flip to James chapter 4, James chapter 4, and we'll be reading from verse 4. I'll give you a second to flip to James chapter 4, okay, James chapter 4, verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. But who are you to judge your neighbor?
1: Good evening, everyone. It's great to be with you this evening and to uh, be back in Perth and to not have COVID. Uh, all those things happened to me on a, on a holiday and then came back and got sick and uh, it was... Pretty pretty average, Um, but really good to be back. Um, Just to do one more sneaky little plug for Mob, um, for a lot of the young guys in here who've never been to Mob, if you come to Mob for the first time, that's Men of Bull Creek on Saturday, um, free to the first time free for the first time. So if you've not been to Men of Bull Creek Breakfast, please come this coming Saturday. Please register online, uh, as Sean pointed out before. Uh, Just want to have a sneaky little announcement. Please do that. Uh, Tim Ireland is going to be our speaker. He's a pastor up at All Nations. Um, He's a young guy and a young family himself. And uh, he'd be great. You'd enjoy his testimony and his uh, time of sharing with us on Saturday. So again, mob breakfast this coming Saturday, uh, particularly young guys, old guys too. Uh, so if you're old here or feel old, uh, please do come along. That'd be great. Uh, but I just want to encourage everyone that can, that all the guys that can, please do come along. Great. Thanks for the, that extra announcement in there. Now, I loved chemistry in high school. Um, Mr. Ford, he was my chemistry teacher, and he made class interesting by allowing us to test what we learned in the book by combining and heating and blowing things up, of course, all with proper safety precautions. Uh, you see the picture up there, he signed it, and my little nickname, if you can see that, then you're good. Um, so yes, uh, I really enjoyed chemistry. See, when book learning was put to the test, we learned important truths. Over the centuries, various answers to tonight's question. So tonight's question that we're going to look at is, can't I have morals without God? So various answers have been given and offered over the years, over the centuries, really. And these moral systems have been put to the test around the world, so for time's sake, though, tonight, we're just going to boil these systems down to really two types. First, the, the secular view of morals or the secular morals that are just determined by this day and age, by what we see here and now, um, and not, not an allegiance to a super, supernatural being. Okay, that's the moral, uh, so that's the secular one. And then the theistic one that we'll look at, that's the other category, that's obviously those things that are revealed by a supernatural being. So uh, God has spoken and this is what he says, this is how you're to live. So secular and theistic are the two areas. And just to give a definition to morality or to the morals idea, uh, morals are guiding standards of uh, practice and attitudes. So guiding standards of practice and attitudes, that's how we're going to define morals. So sets of morals can be tested, like in Mr. Ford's, uh, when he allowed us to test in our chemistry class, to test these things that we learned in the textbook. So to answer the question, can I have morals without God, we'll test the character of the morals, or the character of the moral giver, the longevity, and then the power of the these two moral systems. Uh, The power of them to to influence or to impact the people around them. So the morals, the best morals, have an incorruptible character. They have a timeless standard. And they have transformative powers. Okay, that's the the points that we're going to have before us tonight. So the first thing to look at is this idea of incorruptible character. So the morals... That we're going to look at, they reflect the character of their author or the people who came up with them. In other words, if you look at the moral systems that are developed, they reflect the character of the group that came up with them or the God who gave them. So, in general, a secular standard is grounded in the here and now, in the imminent. Okay, there's a nice philosophical or theological word you might know. Everyday things. In these, in, these, uh, in these secular systems, everyday things are observed, so life is observed and, uh, and then contemplated, and then decisions are made on what would produce the best outcome for this life. That's generally what a secular moral system is going to do. Now, an anthropologist that you probably don't know, but I'm going to quote them here, an anthropologist named David F. Lancy observed that Among the ancient Greeks and Romans, sickly, unattractive, or unwanted infants were exposed or otherwise eliminated. Lancy says that those cultures, the Greek and the Roman cultures, but also other cultures like the Chinese culture, the Hindu uh, background, Indian culture, the Japanese culture, they did similar. They decided that weak and unwanted babies were disposed of. Offspring were valuable only to the culture if they could be anticipated that someday they're going to be contributing. They're going to, they're going to do something or provide something or serve in some way that would be helpful to the here and now, to that day and age. Now, we may be horrified by Lancy's anthropological observations They exposed the roots of the ancestors of our cultures, right? I mean, if I look around the room, some of us came from Greek or Roman or some kind of Asian background. Uh, You know, the roots of our cultures are not very pretty when you think of the kind of things that were decided when it came to dealing with those who are weak and vulnerable. However... We do learn something then about the author or those who put together those moral systems, right? By looking at these secular standards and what these, what these cultures did, you can start to see what were they like. A culture that only contemplates this life, only looks at this life and makes decisions about what's going to impact us here and now. They decide the standard and they ignore concerns like You know, something little like individual human dignity. You know, (laughs) when you start just looking at the here and now, you get lost uh, and the, the standard becomes corrupt because eventually human dignity is just overthrown for the immediate need or for a short term gain. You know this child's going to be a drain on the system. get rid of them. this child's not a man or not a or not a woman uh, not going to be a is not a boy or a girl so get rid of them and then they do a quick fix just get rid of them and that corrupts the soul of the culture that holds to a secular base of morals. in contrast, theological morals are grounded in the transcendent, on things beyond this life. Okay, so think God of the Bible, of course. We're in a church, that's where we're going to go, right? Think God of the Bible, but think about Genesis 1, 26 and 27, where God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, He created them. So unlike a lot of the secular cultures where women were trodden down, were pushed down, or were disregarded, here God says there's dignity for man and woman. They're both made image bearers of God. God ascribes to all humans the dignity of being made in God's image. Every human being has value and importance in the way that God sets us as his image bearers. And that doesn't matter whether you're productive in life or not, whether you have handicaps or deficiencies, whether you have struggles or whatever, whether you come from a bad background or a good background, God says every human has value because they are my image bearers. So regardless of gender or race or height or weight or nationality or cultural background, the transcendent God gives us the status of bearing his image. We have value. So just some three things to sort of note out of that, okay? One is really obvious, the first one. The character of the God of the Bible ensures that every human life has value. That speaks of the character of God. If He values His creatures and His image bearers, that tells us something about our God, the character of our God. But the second thing to note is that nothing in this life, nothing imminent, trumps the God who is transcendent. In other words, God is above and we are below. God is over all things and beyond all things. He is the all powerful one and we are the creature. He's the creator. But the third thing to note is this. A different God could set a different moral standard. In other words, just because you have a theistic moral system doesn't mean that you have a good system in the way that we would understand good and benefit to others. Let me give you an example. The God Molech now Molech was a god that the that the um Ammonites worshiped and uh he's his uh one of his big characteristic ways of worship in the Old Testament was where they would sacrifice children. So you can see Molech sitting on the or a statue of Molech sitting there and the priest uh, the Molech uh, the uh, the um yeah the priest is offering uh Molech a child. Um and some of these child sacrifices were absolutely horrific you can ask me later if you want to hear more but here molech is is worshiped by child sacrifice that was his requirement as a god but our god in jeremiah chapter 32:35 says that that act of worship is an abomination so you see even between our god the true god the god of the bible and molech there was a difference, a moral difference, a distinct moral difference between how they were to be worshipped. See, a claim to theistic morality does not mean that we cannot examine the character of the god or gods that we claim to worship or value. In fact, it's likely the opposite. You see, just as the character of those who establish a secular morality can be evaluated. You can start looking and seeing how does this work? What does this look like? What's the effect? We should also examine the character of the God behind any theistic morality, including our own. Look at it. Think about it. Contemplate it. Tom Holland, who's a pretty well-known historian, he's got podcasts and he writes quite a bit. He's written a, uh, quite a number of good books, particularly on Rome and on the uh, ancient Roman culture. He was once captivated, he says, he was once captivated by the beauty and the power of Rome. He loved it. He just thought, what a great system. These guys dominated everything. But now, here's listen to what he says of Rome. Rome is a really terrifying alien world. And the more you look at it, the more you realize that it's built on systemic exploitation. In almost every every way, Rome is a world that is unspeakably cruel to our way of thinking. And this began to worry Tom more and more. You see, Tom Holland started to see that the world we live in and the world the Roman culture created was very different. And while on one hand he admired it, on the other hand he realized that the world we live in has a much different ethical system, a much different uh, direction. See, like Tom Holland, who examined the character of the Roman culture and then looking at our own, we should examine the character of the morals that we claim to honor and uphold. The moral character of those we follow matters. So let's come to the next point where we're looking at the morals. Again, we're testing these things, and uh, the test now is, is it timeless? Is it a timeless standard? See, the moral's longevity reveals its quality. Now, when I asked Shelly to marry me, I was poor and in Bible college. Now, I wasn't a poor Bible college, I wasn't hopefully a poor student, but I was in Bible college and I was poor. Uh, But I wanted to convey how special my wife was. I wanted to convey the quality of my commitment to live with her, uh, or the intention of my commitment to live with her the rest of my life. So I didn't write down my marriage proposal on a tissue and hand it to her. And I didn't hand her a ring made out of, you know, the gum wrapper or something like that. What did I do? When I proposed, I offered her a diamond ring. I hoped that that diamond's longevity would best convey the quality of my love and my commitment for my wife. See, a moral standard can be evaluated in a similar way you can ask, how long has this standard existed? So a good quality moral standard, it'll stand the test of time. So let me give you an example from the scriptures. For example, Matthew seven twelve. Now it's in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, I'm just going to quote it here. You can turn there if you're quick. Jesus says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is, is the law and the prophets. What Jesus was doing there was taking an Old Testament teaching and, in a sense, repackaging it or updating it and compressing it into that very clear statement in Matthew 7, 12. Now, he takes that teaching from Leviticus 19, 18. Again, you can turn there if you're quick. Uh, Leviticus nineteen eighteen says this, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So what did Jesus do? He took what was given in the Old Testament. Of course, Jesus, we know him to be God, but he took what was given in the Old Testament and he repackaged it. He restated it and he encapsulated the same truth for the church so that all of god's law in a sense was encapsulated in what jesus says and we call it the golden rule right do unto others as you would have them do unto you now some say that the golden rule appears in many ancient religions so confucianism hinduism and buddhism those are the three i'm going to look at and just quote from and on the surface many of those things sound similar So I'm going to read these statements and you're going to see they sound similar to the golden rule. But I want you to note something, that the expressions are stated negatively and really doesn't call on anything for the hearer to do except sort of passively just let these things happen. Okay? So Confucianism says this, do not do to others what you do not want them to do to you. Again, you hear the negative and just sort of passive. Just let it go. Don't do anything to them. Hinduism. The sum, this is the sum of duty. Do not do to others what would cause you pain. What would cause pain if done to you? Again, you hear the passivity and the negativity. Don't do that and just let it go. Okay. And Buddhism. Hurt not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. See, the Eastern religions, what are they doing? They're they're actually only holding back wrongdoing. They're only holding back uh, keeping wrong behavior in check, if you think of it that way. But Jesus' moral commands tells his followers to find ways to publicly and to uh, positively love their neighbor. There's a huge difference. So Eastern religions, you might want to think of it this way, Eastern religions teach the silver rule, but Jesus teaches the golden rule. Okay? There's an easy way to remember it. And so as you think, think about these things. Now, I haven't forgotten. What's our test for this point? Our test is timelessness, right? We're talking about longevity. And so that you don't think I've forgotten about this timelessness test, uh, Jesus used, remember, Leviticus 19. He went back to the Old Testament that was given by God, it was recorded by Moses around 1450 B.C. Now remember, B.C. goes backwards. So that's 1450 years before year one, uh, when Jesus came on the earth, or if you go by Anno Domini, okay? So B.C., 1450 years, was when Leviticus 19 was recorded. And the texts of the Eastern religions quoted were all written sometime between 500 and 400 B.C., So about a thousand years before the Eastern religion texts were written, Moses wrote down what God said about loving your neighbor. So what is our testing discovered so far then? Remember, we're testing the morals. First off, character matters. We should follow the morals of those with the best character. Now, you may be able to have morals without God for a time, but morals only grounded in this life, they lead to corruption by the, either the immediate need or by a short-term gain or by a quick fix. That's how morals in this life, only anchored in this life, things change. I mean, when I grew up, we didn't talk about same-sex marriage. There was no such thing. There was prosecution for people that were homosexuals and now look a generation later how much things have changed. Not even a generation. And longevity matters. We should take a long look at the morals that we hold. The moral standards that we hold to. Not just the ones we say we hold to but what do we actually hold to. Genuine standards stand the test of time. For instance... If the length of a meter kept changing every 10 years, you know, this year it's this big, next year it's a little bit bigger, next year, the next 10 decade, you know, next decade later, it's going to be this big, right? Can you imagine trying to measure things? How far apart are we? How high is that, you know, is that plane flying? If standards kept changing, then they're not really standards, are they? See, genuine standards stand Longevity, they stand the test of time. Okay, so along with character, along with longevity, moral standards also require transformative power. See, the moral's ability, it needs to have an ability to affect change, affect the individual's motivation. Now, a common set of morals are crucial for groups that are gathering together. So when people gather, when they pool their resources together, they want to they get the best out of everybody. They want to have a common sense of how we're going to treat one another, how we're going to care for one another, what's expected, all those kind of things. And so people gather and they pool their resources. But you know this. As soon as you start pooling resources, you also pool people's problems. Things happen. Challenges come, right? Friction um, Friction begins. Because some group within that group is going to want to do it this way. Another group wants to do it another way. Another group wants to do it another way. And so you have all these different things. Now, if you if you wonder if that's really true, I just want you to invite you either to go to our creche on a Sunday or go to a preschool, okay? If you're around toddlers at all, this is evidence that this is true, okay? Now, moms and dads, they know that they want their little their little Johnny and their little Susie, to share, okay? So sharing is crucial, but if you're watching toddlers at all, you know sharing is not popular. Uh, Mine is the word that comes up quite often. Mine, no, or something like that, okay? See, secular though, secular, people with, uh, parents with a secular base and parents with a theistic base both know that sharing is good, okay? Sharing is a common thing, Everybody wants to teach their child to share. Little Johnny and little Susie need to share those resources, those toys, those cookies, those uh, juice balls. Well, maybe not their memes, uh, their dummies, but uh, anyway, they shouldn't share those. So at the external level, okay, right, we're thinking just at the external level, everybody wants their child to share and they'll make their child or help, help their child uh, to share because sharing is something that favors the common good. Everybody will get along. Each type of parent knows that a child should learn to share for the good of society. And everyone agrees that sharing mutually benefits others. However, the type of moral affects the deeper motivation. There's a, there's a type of moral that affects the deeper motivation. A secular parent will direct their child to share with the understanding that there's a, a mutual sharing that ultimately benefits all parties. Okay. The assumption is, as their child learns to share, the other children will be learning to share. And so everyone, at some point, will get what they want. They'll get that toy or that bicky or whatever it was that they want. The the motivation, though, is then rooted really only in pragmatism, utilitarian kind of sense of, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Everybody will get what they want if we just let them share and wait long enough. The individual benefits when they play along to get what they want. But those with a theistic morality have a basis for their behavior that extends beyond just the pragmatic, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, or the common good. See, the source of the moral is in a behavior that's outside the human group, or the standard is set from outside. Therefore, the motivation is not only to get what you want, but the motivation is to please or obey the God who commands sharing. Furthermore, the God of the Bible, and we're talking our specific theistic system, the God of the Bible says that he has the power to transform hearts. So it's not just an external making your child do what you want them to do, but God says that he has the power to transform hearts. The standard then doesn't remain external. The standard becomes part of the moral makeup of those who follow the God of the Bible. You remember in the first point that we looked at tonight, Tom Holland realized that Rome felt quite alien and based on exploitation and unspeakable cruelty as to the way Tom Holland currently thinks now. What Tom Holland realized was that Christianity had overturned the morals of Rome, Rome had fallen, the moral systems had collapsed, but Christianity had turned what was in the Roman system, cruelty and domination had turned it on its head, turned it upside down, had actually turned it right side up if you 're thinking from a Christian perspective. You see now the weak and those that were those that were uh, out of sorts, those that uh, were humble, those were the ones that got elevated in this system of Christianity. See, the morals were overturned. The, moral, the Roman morals were overturned because they were anchored just in this world, in this day and age, what they could get out of the countries that they dominated in that day. But morals based on the power to conquer and the power to get what you want just here and now, They are not compatible with the biblical God. When God speaks, he says that he can transform hearts. It's what we read in Jeremiah 31, where he says, I will put my law in your hearts. You no longer need instruction from outside. You will know from within how to act, how to live. That's the difference between the theistic system, particularly our Christian heritage, which teaches us what God has done is change us from the inside. Just as Christianity, in a sense, toppled the Romans' need to oppress and dominate, so our moral system should help us to elevate those who are in need, to look out for those who are weak and in need. See, just before... The sermon tonight, we read Matthew 5, and so if you want to turn back there, I want you to look at that, and I'm just going to skim through it really quickly. It's a well-known section of Scripture, so Matthew 5, beginning in verse 3, and Jesus tells his followers something that's really important about his kingdom. These are, in a sense, the inauguration of his kingdom. This is what he says is important. This is the ethic of the kingdom, the morality of the kingdom. It's more than that, but it's at least that. Here's what he says, the kingdom is for the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, peacemakers, even those who are persecuted for righteousness. See, those who possess those qualities, you see it in every one of them, are blessed by God, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. What does that mean? It means that God has given them his blessing. He has blessed them. He has given them something. In other words, those who possess these qualities were given them by God when he transformed their hearts. He changed people so that they could enter his kingdom. Morality, required by God, then it begins and continues in really one direction. And the direction is this, humility. See, for those of us who know the Lord Jesus, we should be the most humble people, constantly humbled, poor in spirit, merciful, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, looking to God to provide, pure in heart, peacemakers. We should be humble. That's what should be different about us because our moral system is internalized. God has given it to us. He's blessed us with it. That's what Jesus is telling, at least telling his his followers in that passage. And so humility... Should be a mark of the Christian. Turn over to James chapter 4. We read that passage also, and I'm not going to look at the whole thing, just 6 to 10. So, James chapter 4, 6 to 10, where he says this. Sorry, I'm getting there as well. He says this, God gives grace to the humble. And so it goes on that we submit to God, that we draw near to him, that we humble ourselves before him and he will exalt us. Obviously, a very short summary of what James is saying there. But it's the direction of believers. It's where our moral system, our theistic moral system, given by God in his word, it's where it takes us. That we will submit to God. That we will draw near to him. That we will let him do the exaltation of us, not trying to exalt ourselves. You see, I think, really, to answer our question tonight, can't I have morals without God, or let me put it another way, can I have morals without God? I think the answer is yes, you can. You can have morals without God. But I think if we've seen anything tonight, I hope what you've seen and just the brief little things that we've thought about is that any morals without God really are morals that can be corrupted, that can be constantly changing, and really are only an external pressure brought to bear on people, making them change because of some external pressure. But if you desire incorruptible, timeless, and morals that can transform you, then you need to humbly humbly come before God, the God of the Bible, in Christ, come to Him, look to Him, and ask Him for grace to follow Him. Ask Him that you might enter the kingdom. Again, if you're already in the kingdom, you should already be marked by these things as those who are humble, loving, and willing to serve. And if you're not, I invite you, come and talk to me or a Christian you know in the congregation so that you might learn more of Jesus Christ and what He teaches us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do want to thank you. We know that what you have given to us and what your word teaches us is life. It, it is incorruptible. Lord, it is timeless and transformational. There are things that we can learn and rely on and depend on because even as we heard this morning, you are faithful. Lord, we want to thank you. I do pray for any here who don't know you yet that you would open their eyes to the truth of your word and to the longevity of your word and to the impact of the word, the importance of it. Help them to see Jesus and receive him by faith. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.